0: Okay, guys, so welcome to the Bonus Podcast. I'm the host, Donatos Surbonas, and uh, I couldn't find a better timing uh, to have these gentlemen as my co-hosts as well. Eric McCollum of Karshiaka Izmir and Marcus Foster of Ritas Wellness uh, joining me tonight, today. So welcome to the podcast, gentlemen.
1: Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Always a pleasure.
0: And I said that I couldn't find a better timing to host you here on the podcast because we're coming off a weekend where Luka Doncic scored 73 points. And I have two great scorers, legendary scorers mm. uh, here on the podcast because Eric McCollum in 2015, while playing in China, scored 82 points in a crazy night. He still holds the record of the CBA. And Marcus Foster as well. He had 47 points in his first pro season in South Korea. So this whole thing brought a bit different reactions, I would say, and I have three real tweets for you. I'm not going to say who posted those tweets, but these are tweets coming off NBA people. And I will ask you uh, to illustrate, uh, to um, go with a tweet that I'm going to mention that would illustrate your reaction. There are three tweets. The first one is, look unreal, they traded Luka, right? The second one is, damn, I miss defense in the NBA. And the third one is, somebody going to score 100 before the season is over. So if you're anonymous NBA fan, guys, which tweets you're going to post on X?
1: I mean, I think for me, um, the defensive one. Because I think a lot of people think in the NBA, when they watch the NBA, they think they're not playing defense or... <clears throat> um, they're just letting Luka score 70. Like they just want to be the team that Luca scores 70 on. But I don't think it's like that. It's Luka Doncic at the end of the night, one of the best scores in the world. You know, it's not like they wanted him to do it. He he's gonna he can do that any given night, especially with his usage rate. He has the ball in his hand a lot. So I think the persona of, you know, NBA teams don't play defense is kind of a crazy thing to think about at this point because you're guarding you're going against the best players in the world. So you can only imagine how hard it is, especially when a guy gets it going. Of course he can get up to seventy.
0: So you're not going with this uh, one damn I missed defense in the NBA, right? You're going That's to- the
1: one I'm going with. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Because I thought that, you know, it's it's related uh, to the fact that now there's, like, they say no defense in the NBA.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Like, everybody thinks that, you know, guys in the NBA aren't playing defense. Mm. But, you know, you're going against Luka Doncic. What can you expect? All you can do is just go out there and try your best and see what happens. And, you know, it's a night where he got it going. So,
2: he had 73. Okay,
1: Eric, what's your pick?
2: For me, I have a caveat to that. So, I also picked that um, the intensity... Um, the focus, the effort is not there on a day-to-day basis. And it's tough. I mean, you play 82 games. Sometimes you're coming off a back-to-back. Sometimes it's hard to muster up the energy. The problem is I can see the difference um, in the playoff defense, how hard it is for those stars to score. You know, it's taking a lot of shots, a lot of possessions. Guys' percentages are lower. I mean, if you watch NBA basketball, you literally see the difference not only in the player's effort but in the scout Um, and in the assertiveness to get the ball out of the mains players and to make the supporting cast beat you. So what I hate is, okay, Luka's unstoppable. He's been that way since he was probably 12 years old. Um, I've seen it at about 17, 18. No one can guard him. This is clear. So he's going to score. He's going to get 30. He's probably going to get 40. 70 is unacceptable because as a player, I don't care what the coach says. If we're in Europe right now and there's a guy scoring 40, 50 points, I'm leaving my man every time to go double team. I'm leaving every time. I don't care. I feel like with Luca, he's so special. He's so great. Why was there not a trap as soon as he touched the ball to dribble up the court like they used to do James Harden in his Houston day? Why did you not funnel him? Two guys right there. You're going to pass the ball. Someone else is going to be me. Maybe you'll get 20 assists. Luca is capable of this. He can get 20 assists. You're not going to get 70 points on my team if I'm a coach. I'm designing it. I'm scheduling it so that the ball is out of your hands. Of course, one-on-one, psh, no one's guarding Luca. He, he's that special. He's that gifted. He can score in a magnitude of ways um, from the inside, from the outside, from the post, off the dribble. Just the highlights, it looks so easy. It looked like he didn't break a sweat. He was walking to the hole, leaning on him because he's strong. He has that body finishing. I felt like – he treated him like little boys, like it was conjure. That's how good Luca is. So I don't take away from his um, dominance, from his ability, because I'm a fan. I've always been a fan. I always thought he was that guy, you know. But you have to send a double and a triple team. My goodness, like Kobe used to get double and tripled all the time. Why is Luca getting to play one on one? Stop it. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: a good perspective. Uh, that's an interesting uh, perspective because some blame the NBA that we have today. Uh, very high-paced basketball, you know, officials, they're not uh, uh, making any calls. Uh, or they're making too many calls and making mm-hmm. the game easier for the offensive uh, player. High-paced game with a lot of trees. But in Eric's case, I'm hearing that it's more about coaching, right? About the coaching decision not to trap Luca, not to double Joel Embiid like it happened against uh, San Antonio Spurs. So that's mm-hmm. what you're disappointing the most, right? With the yes. coaching decisions. Yes. Okay, but you know, in any pers- from and looking from any perspective, I believe it's not easy to score seventy-three points, uh, no matter what the defensive coverage, no matter hot, how hot you are. And I just wanted to ask you guys what it's like to have this like 82 point, four to 7 point game. Uh, you know, uh, what people shouldn't overlook uh, looking at these uh, high-scoring performances. What is the setting? the game that leads you to having such a high scoring night
1: i mean it's a it's a tough thing to do honestly like you know i know eric can contested that like it takes a lot to be able to do that i mean when i did it i think i was i think i was around 20 24 and even that at my age like i was exhausted at that point so for someone to do 70 you know you have to be in physical shape to be able to do that but it's one that thing is just when you get it going, you just know it's your night, and you can tell. Sometimes, for me, you know, it could start in the warm up. I just know it's gonna be one of them nights, or I take my first couple shots, and I'm and I just know that's how it's gonna be. So, it's just one of those modes you get in where you just feel it. No matter what you are throwing up, it's going in. And I think a big thing about those are three pointers. You know, I think for Joel Embiid B to score seventy, that's pretty good because he's doing that. A big man, you see a lot of the guards be able to do it because you're getting so many three-pointers you're adding your free throws with the fouls and stuff like that it's a tough thing to do but it also relies on the reps also you know i think he shot 18 or something free throws so that adds to his points on top of what he's doing so it's a tough thing to do
0: eric what do you remember about the morning following 82 point game
2: oh man like you're gonna be exhausted your body's aching You're sore. You're tired. Just like Marcus said, it just takes a toll on you because you're constantly in attack mode. You're going against double, triple teams usually as the game progresses. Um, I mean, you kind of saw that, I think, last night. I mean, Luca was um, excellent um, against uh, Sacramento when it came to distributing. That told me that they brung the help. They brung the double teams. They brung the rotations. He had 17 assists. He also had 10 rebounds. But you could tell he didn't have the energy offensively. He was 9 of 26. Um, you know, one and nine from three. So that shows you like the toll that you know, scoring 50, 60, 70 something points does. But oftentimes when you're a great scorer, um, I know for myself, once I get in the rhythm, it's too late. Like you got to do something at the beginning of the game. You got to make it tough. You got to make it hard. And a really good score, they still can find it. Like you've seen so many times in the past when Vasilis Vass- Spanulis would have zero points through three quarters playing against Panathinaikos. And, and then in the fourth quarter, 15 points, game winner, like a good score is going to find a way um, to affect the game. But if you allow them to get in the rhythm, if you allow them to feel comfortable to see that ball going in after five, six makes, I mean, you can put the best defender in the world on them. It's too late. And I think um, the biggest thing is just um, your conditioning, being in shape. And then the next biggest thing is your teammates. Are they haters? Um, Do they like you? Do they believe in you? Because teammates who like you, who believe in you, they're going to set better screens. They're going to go out the way to look for you. They're okay with playing through the hot hand that game. And oftentimes, a lot of teammates can block a player's success or blessings on the court because they might not set that screen. They might not pass. it. could be some jealousy. So I think if you have um, the right uh, conditioning throughout your body where you can uh, continue to attack, continue to score a multitude of ways, and then you have teammates who play through you when they recognize that you're hot. That's where you'll see guys start to have those numbers and that success. You know, a lot of guys aren't built like that or cut like that. The game has changed. Um, The younger generation is different, but this is the key to having a big night and having that success, and then hoping that coaches don't double team you early and disrupt your rhythm. So
0: Eric, when you dropped 82, you were like 26, 27, right?
2: Yes, yeah. It was
0: like nine years ago, so yeah. And Marcus, you told you were like 24. Yeah. Okay, that's important coming to our next question. Mm -hmm. So, Luka Doncic scoring 73 points in a a 48-minute NBA game is basically equivalent to around 1.5 points per minute. So, in a EuroLeague, in a 40-minute basketball game, it would be equivalent to around 60.8 points. And... uh, we have EuroLeague single game scoring record, which belongs to Shane Larkin. He dropped 49 points in 2011, uh, so we did, still didn't have a player who scored over 50 points. Who do you think uh, has the best shot at scoring 50 points in the EuroLeague from the current players?
1: that's pretty tough because that goes back to kind of what Eric was saying you know you got to have good teammates around you that want to see you be successful so when Shane Larkin did that you could you could see that his teammates wanted him to go to go get that record and break his own record so it's tough it's tough to see who would do that in this situation because the system in Europe is based on a team team type of thing so it's hard for guys to go get. You know, shoot 25, 30 shots. But if I had to put my money on anybody, of course, I would always go with Mike James, because okay. you know, when Mike James gets it going, he he's unstoppable. Just like just like how Shane Larkin was that night. So, you know, I'm always for scoring in Euro League. I'm always gonna put my money with Mike James. Okay, fair enough, Eric. What you have?
2: I have a twist. Um, I love Mike's game. I think the coaches won't let him because they're gonna double him. They're going to box him <laughs> one him. them. They're going to try some Defense, gimmick defenses. True. I think his ability for sure, but I just don't know if he'll get enough shot attempts based on how defenses collapse to him. And most of his work is on ball. So like when you're an on ball guy, it's easy to double team you. So my twist, I think, is Marcus Howard. It has to be a prolific three-point shooter. When you're talking about somebody to score 50 points almost, you have to be able to hit the three at a high rate because if you can hit the three, you can avoid some double teams. And he does his work off ball and on ball. So he's coming off screen. You can't double team someone coming off of a pin down, a floppy action, or double staggers or elevators. So if he's running around, coming off screens, he's getting those shots. Uh, He's harder to guard. Then when he gets his rhythm, he's going. And this is the guy who has the green light that can shoot 13, 14, 15, three-pointers. And he's playing in the Spanish lead. So maybe if it's against a Spanish team where the tempo is fast, things are flowing, where they're helping on the strong side or they're doing crazy rotations, there could be an opportunity for him to get it. Um, I think it's possible, but it's just like in your coaches aren't going to stand by and just watch a guy just continue to torture. Like we're in the NBA. I feel like in a regular season, sometimes it's like people get caught up in the show and in the display and they let guys play one-on-one. And I just don't understand that. Like, it's just something that I just never agree with. and I feel like, um, It's going to be extremely difficult to do what Shane did because I feel like you have to hit 9 to 11 three-pointers, right? And so if you do that, that's going to put you around that 27 to 33 points off of threes. And so when you score, you got to break down like a formula how you score. He needs to get to the free throw line, I would say, 7 to 10 times. So let's say he's on that lower end. He hits 10 threes, 30 points, 7 free throws, 37 then he still has to get 13 points off of twos. He has to go 7 for 12, 7 for 13 from twos. And then with that, that means he shot 25, 26 shots. And, you know, you know, Jusko gives him a lot of freedom, but, you know, he has other good players on his team, other good guys who demand touches, who demand the ball, could be extremely difficult.
0: Yeah, it might be ex- extremely difficult for any EuroLeague player, but I also try to look at, uh, look at it from the analytics perspective. And I I picked Marcus Howard as well, because we're talking about the player who's coming off the uh, second highest-paced team in the EuroLeague with uh, 84 possessions per game. And I'm picking the leader in field goal attempts and three-point attempts as well. So Marcus Howard is attempting 14.5 field goals per game. Uh, He's averaging 9.2 three-point field goals per game. Uh, To compare Scott Wilbick in the second with 7.1, so it's a huge difference already. And Marcus Howard tends to get on fire quite frequently because uh, he holds two of five higher scoring uh, games this season Mm -hmm. uh, already. And that's why I asked about your age, guys. Marcus Howard is still Mm -hmm. 24. So he has Dang. all the energy, all the enthusiasm in his game. And also he has few years, you know, uh, to make it happen, to make this 50 uh, point game happen. And, you know, Mike, Shane, with all the respect, they're mm-hmm. like getting older, you know, so they, they <laughs> might be looking for passing more or something. So
2: yeah. Yeah, I can see how they play. It seems like they like him and they would support him if he's hot when he's doing certain things, because he shoots some erratic shots but he's a tough shot maker and you know a lot oftentimes I watch team and players body language when guys are shooting fadeaway threes or taking these type of risks and it seems like everyone's you know okay they're sold on it and then this the other thing that's super important we talked about conditioning who better to break the record than someone who plays for Dusko you know he's in shape (laughs) if he plays for Dusko you know he's in shape so (laughs) he's going to have the motor and energy (laughs) This guy's unstoppable.
1: I've, I've, heard about, I've heard about his preseason, so I, I, I wouldn't want no know parts of that. <laughs> Probably in the best shape of his life. <laughs> but with the Marcus Howard thing, you know, I remember I played him in college. And um, the thing we were trying to do with him, we were like, all right, we're going to stop everybody, but we're going to let Marcus Howard have, have a night. So they were like, Marcus, you guard him. And I'm like, okay, so I'm the one getting picked on tonight. <laughs> so they're like, they're like, you know, we're just going to let him shoot and, you know, just try to get him to shoot him shoot out the game. So I'm like, okay, coach, we'll try this out. It worked for like the first five minutes. But I think he ended up with like 32 points. And I think he went like eight for 15 from three. But it was like quick how he gets it done. Like he gets it up at a high clip. And once he gets going, nothing you can do to stop him. You know, I'm fouling him on shots. He's still getting them off and still making it. So it's cool to see him now doing it on a high level because I've seen him do it in college, and it makes sense for him to be in this setting that he's in now. And so I think, you know, for him, the sky's the limit because of how, how his ability to score. And then with the teammates, too, that that's a big thing, too. when you When you got the confidence of your team to play like that, it's hard to stop
2: a guy like that. Mm-hmm. He'll yeah. make a lot of money. Only 24? Mm-hmm. Ooh, bright future for him. I, I like his game. If he, he learns to create a little bit more, man, he'll be unstoppable, um, and it will lead to more wins. I think that's where you've seen that step that Shane and Mike James took when they added that creation and that playmaking ability with a prolific scoring. When he does that, he's only 24. His game is going to keep climbing. When he does that, mm-hmm. you're going to see – um. Basko on your sword. I know i seen he signed the extension and you're going to see him continue to take off and be probably um, one of the up-and-coming faces of the League.
0: Whether it's Marcus Howard, whether it's Mike James, who do you sign as your cornerstone defensive player uh, to build your your defense uh, on your team? Who are you building your defense around? Who is the guy?
1: I'm going John Brown for sure. Because I, I like the four men... That can switch out and be able to guard guards and also hold his own in the post. And then his motor, like you know, what you're gonna get out of him every night. So you know you want a guy like that on your team. You don't want to go against him. So I'm always gonna put gonna put him down, especially the story that he has. You know, playing second division and coming up and now he's in the Euroleague stuff like that. You know, you want guys that's been at the bottom and worked their way up because they they know how to get to the top.
0: Yeah, I like your pick because I think that the conversation always goes around Eddie Tavares and Thomas Walkup. But in this group, I think that only John Brown is capable of basically defending all five positions at a really high level without without having some clear uh, disadvantages in, in those matchups. Mm-hmm. So John Brown is a good pick and I remember I did year league player survey uh, during the season, mid-season. Yeah, and John Brown was top free pick as well and in some point of the race he was taking the lead but again Eddie Tavares uh, won this unofficial midseason award mm. so that's, that's a good pick. What about you Eric?
2: Yeah I agree with Marcus. I think um, when you're talking about versatility right so with with Walter Tavares you're going to want smaller guards paired with him. Someone who can get into the ball, who can pressure, who can funnel um, all the penetration to him you know, so he can block shots, so he can contest, do those type of things. So you need guys who are quick, who are over the screens. You know, obviously, um, Compasso, he does that. He's excellent at it, Um, you know, putting that pressure on, making guys uncomfortable. And basically the whole Madrid team kind of pushes everyone to the paint. Um, I think with guys who couldn't go over the screen or guys who struggled to get into the ball, I think it would negate some of his dominant um, ability on defense to kind of rim protect to do those things because guys would have opportunities to pull up. But with that defense, that helps him. But with a guy like John Brown, you can put him with small guards who can uh, bring uh, the defend- or bring the ball handler into him, and he can kind of be active with his hands. Um, he also has that ability to switch. If you have taller guards and you want to play a switching defense, and those guards can guard the bigs and underneath, he has that. He's the best hedge defender I've ever played against. Um, his activeness, how he gets out to the ball, he's always reaching. He's moving his hands. His recovery back um he's good at helping on the weak side he's got a lot of defenders are only good off ball if they're a shot blocker he's good off ball mm-hmm. with rotations with getting his body there he can take the charge he can go meet you at the rim or he can um, wall up and just force a tough shot but he's also good um roaming weak side for steals and then on ball i've seen him lock down fives fours threes i've seen him switch out you know i played against him many years in russia and, you know, we had a rule, don't attack John Brown. Uh, call to a five or call another screen, even screen with a guard, but you do not attack John Brown. And You know, you want to be stubborn when you're young, but as you get older, you realize, shoot, I'm not about to waste my energy with him. Let me get someone who's easier. Come on. Like, I'm not about to prove a point. Like, and so that's how I feel like when you're talking about versatility, when you're talking about someone who guard one through five, when you're talking about someone that you can put in any defensive scheme, whether we're hedging, whether we're playing high flat, high protect, whether we're switching, John Brown is the only guy in the Euroleague who can do all of that at a high level.
1: And, too, at certain times you could put him at the five because offensively he's not a liability also. You know, he can knock down shots and he can get on the offensive rebound to him. You know, certain teams, that could change the whole game for them. So I think, well, yeah, like Eric was saying, that versatility he has, it, it's unmatched and you don't get that in a lot of players. Yeah,
0: finally we have a different name in this conversation. It was always at Tavares and Thomas walkup, so I'm 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 happy that we're making a campaign for another name for a, the best defensive player of the year award. But there's the reason I try to put you in the GM shoes because I think that I have a bigger assignment, GM assignment for you guys for this question, because Team USA just announced a 41-player pool for the Paris Olympics that features players such as LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Edwards, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Jimmy Butler, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, Kyrie Irving, and many others. So, gentlemen, after failing to win the World Cup twice in consecutive uh, championships and losing the status of being undefeatable, national team in the world. In order to defend the podium in Paris Olympics, how are you building Team USA roster? Are you going all out for the best names available? Or there's some specific strategy, knowing FIBA basketball, knowing what it takes to be efficient here, that you're using, you know, to build a little bit different team. Not the most stacked team, but team with clear roles. Some guys who can help, some guys who are going to steal the show in order to win games. Not to have the you know, all-star team?
1: It's tough to look at because when you look at it, you want to think, I'm just going to go with the big guns and, you know, just bring, you know, our top guys, LeBron, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard. You know, you want to get all those guys. But I think when you look at it, you have to be a little strategic about it. Like for me, I'm going to look more at guys like Austin Reeves, um, Michael Bridges. Cam Johnson, you know, guys like that that are kind of like glue guys, you know, they're a little bit younger, played in more of the college setting more recently, because I think that's a big part too, because I think in the NBA, the court's so big, you know, with the defensive three seconds and the shooters you have, so I kind of want to get a good mix. Of course, I'm going to go with LeBron, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, you know, those are going to be my main guys, but I think you have to be more strategic about it because these these European teams are, are getting better and they're catching up. And I think a big thing now is they're getting more confident. They're like, you know, we're just as good. We can beat you guys. So that's a big part also. So I think the job Grand Hill has is going to be very tough, but I think they have to figure out a way to kind of scheme their way to win. Eric, do you have your... Final 12 man roster,
2: yeah. Um, so I was trying to think, and you don't want all superstars, right? But you can't say no to Kevin <laughs> Durant, or LeBron, or Steph, like Joel Embiid. Like these guys are just generational talents. So I was thinking, outside of Joel Embiid, I want my bigs to be more role player, like guys who are okay with doing the dirty work getting rebounds, not complaining about getting the ball. So for me personally, and this is tough, this is really tough, but of course I'm taking Steph Curry. No way I'm not. Of course I'm taking Jason Tatum. No way I'm not. Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Joel Embiid. All right, we have those five. I think a sleeper that I think is perfect for FIBA basketball, Jimmy Butler. He doesn't care about shots. He's physical. He's going to guard. He'll go lock up guys. He can guard the Lucas of the world. He can give you that physicality and that sacrifice. He's a perfect candidate. Um, And then, bam, I think that's another guy who doesn't need touches. They come from that Miami Heat culture. All they care about is winning. I think they can put their egos aside and do what's necessary for the team. And then you got to bring a guy like a Mikael Bridges, Um, 3 and D guy, long, athletic, also, another guy who doesn't care about touches. I think um, for the guard, it's going to be tough. I'm trying to choose between Tyrese Hollenberg or De'Aaron Fox. I think those are two guys who are really good. I think I'm leaning towards Tyrese just the way he shoots it and the way he plays the finger roll. But I, I'm a big Fox guy, and I think that, you know, you can't go wrong with either one of those. And then you have to put in some youth, someone who's going to kind of light a fire under those uh, vets, someone who's going to push them, someone who barking down their down back and going to let them know, I'm here, you old. That's Anthony Edwards. I got to bring him. He's someone who's going to bring the fire. He's going to wake up those guys. He's going to make them a little bit uncomfortable when they relax because he's going to push the envelope. Um, And then if you continue to go down, I think Aaron Gordon is a great pick. Uh, You know, he's someone who plays in that system. He's used to playing with Jokic. It's kind of a European-type style offense that Denver runs, and he's a guy who's going to give you the groundwork. So my guards and my forwards – uh, like small fours and twos and ones. They're going to be very aggressive, obviously. They're the scores. But my fours and five, I want them to be the the junkyard dog types. And then a lot of people won't like this pick, but I don't care. I'll do. Um, I'm going Draymond Green. He's perfect for Europe. When my guards are getting trapped in the short row, who better to have than the best short row big uh, in the game? Someone who makes the right play, the right pass. Someone who can have – six or seven points and be the most important player in the court in the crucial moments I and mean, who can provide that defensive intensity. So those are the type of bigs I'm looking at. Another sleeper is Mitchell Robinson. If you want some rim protection, you want length, great shot blocker, alley-oop guy. Um, so one through three, it's gonna be big names for me. It is because they're just, they're that damn good. But um, four through five is gonna be guys that you probably don't really give the credit to, but they're great players in their own right. They just do it a little differently.
0: Yeah, so I see a lot of unhappy people uh, after your final 12-man roster. I mean, a lot of guys that were left out of the list. And it's actually interesting that you included uh, Draymond Green because he's not in the list. He was not invited. He was not involved in this 41-player pool. And we kind of, you know, understand the reasons. He's not the most popular uh, guy in the NBA right now. Has a very bad track record of doing some bad things. But I think it's a big loss for Team USA because to me it was... He looked all, also looked as a perfect fit and I think that he was uh, one of the key guys that won uh, the gold in 2021 Tokyo Olympics in that tough competition when they lost against France, I think, in the group stage and they got their revenge back in the final. So he was huge because he could play all five positions. He'd centered... He played as a center in some games and in FIFA basketball, you know, this... This thing would have worked well uh, at a high level.
1: Yeah, I think it's crazy they left him off the list, though, for the other reasons. Because everything, like Eric saying, he brings that mentality to the team, and he's gonna change. <coughs> he's gonna change everything for him because he's playing for the name in the front. Like he knows what's at stake. He's been there, so it's a crazy thing to do, but you get it. Yeah, he and I remember he's. He
0: was taking such a big pride of wearing national team jersey. Mm -hmm. And I remember that after winning the gold, he was like addressing all the haters in the United States that were doubting that team. So it just showed how much it meant for him, you know, to play for the national team and, and, you know, to win gold uh, with that group as well. So I believe that this mentality is is a big thing and uh, sometimes it's an underrated thing in those uh, big teams.
2: And in Europe, the game can get chippy. It can get choppy. You know, there's some guys who play a little beyond that physicality line. Um, Some guys who can get dirty. Some guys who are out there to irritate, to get under the skins of some of those um, USA stars or the stars from other uh, countries as well. And what better guy to have than Draymond to be that person for you? And when something gets out of pocket or someone from one of the European teams does a little bit too much, who better to have than Draymond to put him in check because you know he will. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, every, every
0: good team needs a villain and if you remember Dylan Brooks played a huge role uh, for Canada winning that bronze medal in the in the recent World Cup. He had some amazing games in the competition. He basically took Luka Doncic off of the quarterfinal game against Slovenia so it's huge to have those you know hard-nosed guys uh, on your team and since oh, okay. I and mentioned the other three, Canada, the
2: other, yeah. I forgot three guys that you're gonna have to probably pick two out of three, but Anthony Davis, but we never know what his health. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul George and then Kyrie. I think like those three probably will be in, but like it could be overkill because it's just gonna be hard to keep everyone happy with all those guys that need touches and minutes. And you don't want to disrespect a Hall of Famer, or one of the best players by you know maybe playing them spot minutes.
1: Yeah, when I looked at the list, those three names came to my mind, but I would would leave those three off for me because I think that just brings a little bit too too much egos, and it's kind of those things you just don't know what you're going to get. You know, Anthony Davis, is he going to be healthy enough? Paul George, are you okay? You know, maybe one game you might get two shots, and then the next game, like, how are you going to be able to filter playing good between each game? So, and then Kyrie – you know, I think Kyrie's more better when he's on the ball. He's more ball dominant making decisions. So I just think, you know, like like Eric was saying with those guys that, you know, you know what they're going to bring. They're not the big names. I think I'm going to save the roster for guys like that because you can't go wrong when you got LeBron James coming down the court, throwing it to Joel Embiid with Steph Curry on a three-point line. So it's kind of – Let's build a team around these guys, let them be our, be our main players, and then let all, everybody else do the dirty work.
0: By the way, which team do you guys see as the biggest threat to Team USA in the upcoming uh, Paris Olympics? Just a short reminder that we're going to have France, South Sudan, Canada, US, uh, Japan, Germany, Serbia, and Australia as already qualified teams. And from the qualification stages, Spain, Greece, Slovenia, Bahamas, Italy, or Lithuania might join the competition. So I hear Serbia already, right? Serbia,
2: Nikola Jokic. <laughs> no one can guard that, man. You've seen it. They. Joel Embiid ain't played in Denver since 2019. Why is that? I don't know, I love Joel, he's a beast. I ain't never dunk no smoke. I ain't never ran from an opponent. Even if I was banged up hurt and I was playing against someone who was, I guess, my match, who I think, like, if I'm Joel Embiid, I'm one or two big man in the league, right? If I'm Jokic, I'm one or two. I'm not missing those games. Like, I might even be hurt. I'm coming for that one. I'm, I might sit out the game before that to be fresh for that <laughs> game. Like, so that just tells me no one can guard Jokic. And they have a plethora of guys who play at a high level, um, Bogdanovich, you know, they can throw out all the European stars. There's guys who play in the Euro Elite who, who surprise you. I mean, you've seen it in, um, this summer in the World Cup um, with Alexi coming in. Balling. That was a guy who's probably not even going to make the team if they come in with their normal roster. And he's a great player in his own right. But that just shows you, like, the depth and the talent that Serbia has. And, you know, that's something that, you know, could be really tough, especially if they're playing inside out because – Jokic is a, is a master of the game and, and he knows all those guys. Tennessee, I think that's a tough matchup for them. Um, obviously, the US has um, greater depth, greater overall talent, but you keep in mind this is a makeshift team. These guys have never played together. Where a lot of those Serbian guys, those Lithuanian guys, those French guys, they've been playing together since they were kids. They came up in the youth program together, they came up in all those domestic leagues, everything, and they come back every summer and play. Where the USA, we bring a whole different team. You know, until the Olympics, they play together once every four years. So where do you get that um, chemistry? Where do you get that connection? Where do you get that trust? And that's what gives the European teams a a greater chance. Their talent has increased, yes, but that chemistry, that knowing what your teammate is going to do, knowing where they want the ball, knowing how to defend, knowing your coach's system, all those type of things can take you to another level and have a player feel comfortable and playing out of their minds or out of their ability.
1: Yeah, that team thing, that's a big aspect. Um I was going to go with Germany. Okay. Because I remember watching them play in the Eurobasket um what was that 2-3 years ago and I was like they're going to be a scary team come to World Cup. You know, I didn't think they were going to actually win it, but actually seeing them play in the World Cup and how they play, they're they're a dangerous matchup to any team. And, you know, like Eric said, like they've been playing together the past four years, so they know what to expect. And then Dennis Schroeder, he's he's a whole different beast when he's playing with the Germany jersey on. So I think that's going to give him a good run. And I think Canada, you know, oh, yeah. whoever, whoever Canada brings, because they have so much talent they can breathe. So I think whoever they
2: bring is going to be big to their success. Yeah, You're not to sidetrack you. Is this true? Ricky Rubio is going to Barcelona?
0: Uh, was it tweeted somewhere right now?
2: Yeah, it's all over Twitter right now. Ricky oh, really? Rubio We're just recording the podcast here,
0: <laughs> and there's Ricky <laughs> Rubio.
2: This is. Crazy. I mean, if
0: it's not watch, I'm not going to believe it. So, <laughs> so who is who is reporting it?
1: I seen. Um, like they said it he Ricky released something. the podcast. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't like it's... to be in your oh, business. Man, it's in Spanish. But something popped up on the computer where it said, like, he's practicing with Barca or something.
0: Yeah, he's he confirms that he will train with Barcelona. Uh, I see myself eager and strong to see how I react, the ball in my hands. Okay, I cannot read the full statement because it's, it's in Spanish. But that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Ooh. He might bring Ice some interesting twist. perspective in the title chase because n- nobody really considered Barca... As the having real shots at winning the Euroleague, that's interesting. Okay, boy what do you wonder think about going this move?
2: Back home, the boy it's... wonder coming back home. I think he's an elite pick and roll player. I think um, you know he's a guy that can kind of transcend their offense, take it to another level, give him more depth. Um, I don't know how healthy he is, but um, you know the way he can move the ball, the way he can make the game easier for others, the way he can increase that tempo, that speed. I mean. He's an ideal fit, you know, for any Spanish team, let alone um, somebody who can handle the pressures and expectations of wearing the Barcelona colors. This is a guy who's been under the microscope since he was 14 or 15 years old. So, you know, I I like it. I think him and Herman Gones running that pick and roll, uh, some pick and pop situations with Jabari Parker and him. You know, be really intriguing, you know, if he's healthy and he's able to go.
1: I mean, I thought that was always a good move. I thought I mean you've always heard it that there's a chance he was gonna go there the past couple weeks, couple summers. Um, he's just gonna bring a different dynamic to that team, like like Eric was saying, with the pick and rolls, his style of play. And I think with his health in a Europe setting, you know, not playing so many games like in the NBA, I think you can kinda manage manage his health. And, you know, when it's time for the playoffs, um, in both leagues, A C B and Euro League, I think he could be at his best, in his top shape. So, that I think that definitely kind of puts him in a conversation, depending on how, how he reacts, but I think that definitely puts him in the conversation.
0: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, there's no agreement with Barca yet regarding playing for Barcelona, and if he actually wants to play again, they need to sign him until February 7th, because this is the deadline for the last signings for the remaining mm-hmm. uh, EuroLeague season. So, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We have... Basically 10 days left before the deadline. And but yeah, this is this is this is getting interesting. And you know, if he comes back, if he plays for Barcelona, there's a high chance that he will play for the Spanish national team as well. With Lorenzo Brown also, with talent that they have on the Spanish national team roster, we also would need to consider Spain as some sort of threat to Team USA. But just to get back to our topic about Team USA, I also really like Canada. I think that they have uh, less depth in talent, but I think that they have those star players um, playing perfect roles. You know, they the clear leader, Shay, Gilges, Alexander. Uh, let's hope Jamal Murray will uh, join the national team this time. They have guys, scorers like Wiggins, R.J. Barrett. They have interesting dynamic bigs with Kelly Olenek, Dwight Powell. And they have this head coach, Jordi Fernandez, who kind of nailed it from the beginning in the World Cup. You know, it's it was huge to take that team to the top four in the World Cup competition after such a long drought of uh, big results uh, with Canada national team basketball program. So it's also, also I would say a new powerhouse that we have in our national team basketball, and it's not going to, easy for, to be easy for Team USA, even despite having this this group of superstar uh, players, all-time greats, uh, future Hall of Famers. So that only will make this Olympic tournament more interesting. And it's interesting that we haven't heard France' name in this conversation. You're not believers in in bigs.
2: They just they just let me down. I think. Um too many bigs kills the spacing, um, takes away from your guard's ability to to create, um, because you can shrink the court, especially in FIBA basketball, with all the help um, from the weak side. You can't play with all these bigs. I mean, I think um my fellow Lithuanian brothers are starting to understand it. You know, with their national team playing with two fives is difficult. No, no matter how good they may be, how talented they are, it's extremely tough to play with two fives. The spacing is just not the same. Um, And it just takes away from the speed of the game, from the rhythm, all those things. Maybe you can do it for five to eight minutes, but to do it for 20 to 25 minutes is just too much. So, you know, I think until, you know, France decides to change that and until they rise to the occasion, you know, we've seen them in clutch moments so many times and they stumble. Um, I think they have great talent. They have a lot of good players, but we've been waiting for a response or an answer and we just haven't received it. So, you know, I think um, until they show a little bit of life, I think they'll be on a back burner um, as far as someone that you expect consistency from. Yes, they can be a big team. Yes, they can do that. But can they consistently put things together? They're the type of team that will upset a Serbia or Germany and then, you know, lose to a small country team that's they're not expected to lose to.
1: Yeah, definitely. The talents there. Um I just didn't I just didn't see enough from them in the World Cup. You know, I just didn't think they were playing their best. You know they have the possibilities to do that. I definitely would have liked Joel Embiid on that team. I think that might have brought a little bit something different. But yeah, the the big man format for for the European competition is is hard to do because of the spacing. It takes away a lot of And I think, like you were saying, with the Lithuanian national team. You know, I think that kind of hurt them in the Euro baskets, and I think that's why they played a little bit better in the World Cup because you know it was just more space, and then yeah. they, they have a lot of shooters, so it helps them space out the core a little bit more, and then you can get Valanciunas on them dump downs or throw it down into them and give them time to work. So you can never sleep on France. Yeah, you never know, but you know, I just think that they have a lot to prove, though.
0: Yeah, if if they had Joel Embiid, B, I mean, that would have been a cheat. They already have. Nyama, Rudy Gobert, Vincent Poirier, Mathias Lezor, Mustafa Fall as their centers mm-hmm. in the national team and I'm not even talking about uh power forwards like Yabusele or Nicolas Batum that could play this role. So but on the other hand we have Evan Fournier who is not playing in New York for the consecutive season and also Nando De Colo if he stays healthy if still if he still has it at how, how old is he like 36 uh, or so if he can be that elite guard to win a national team competition with such a big uh, competition coming from Team USA, Canada, all the other teams, that's that's not easy. And they were not very convincing in the last two tournaments.
2: And after playing the whole season, a Euro lead, French lead on your body, having a short summer to turn around and get ready for the Olympics, it could be a tall task for Dakola.
0: And on the other news, uh, I don't know if you guys managed to watch the entire game of the second consecutive Eternal Derby. And my question, I remember I kind of addressed this topic in the middle of the game, and my initial question was like, oh, in in two games in 24 days, you know, Zvezda outscored Partizan in the first half by a huge margin. Uh, On January 4th in the yearly game, Zvezda was up by 21 points at the half. Yesterday, it was a 17-point lead after two quarters." and eventually the game ends and it's, it's a two-point game uh, in the end. So, you know, I had a question if Zvezda is a bad matchup for Partizan, if this is a coincidence or a tendency that should be worrisome for Partizan, although they are higher in the EuroLeague standards. Just in general, what do you take from from that game, from this whole situation, from this whole uh, sequence of Zvezda and Partizan derbies? The
1: um, first thing I look at is the who has the home court advantage. I think that that plays a lot, you know. The Serbian fans are the best fans, you know, in Europe, and so I think that also plays an uh, aspect a little bit. But I think watching watch I watched the game and watching that beginning, it's so it's so tough when you get down early, because you're trying to build your confidence up. The other team has a confidence going. You know, I remember when I played. Uh, in Panathinaikos, my coach also always say this is high level basketball. You can't spot team spot points because it's hard to come back. You know they're high level players. They're gonna get going once they get going, and I think the matchup is actually perfect. The more I look at it with each players on each team, I think the how they're how Sevesda uh, is taking off on them and having the big leads. I think that doesn't determine, you know, how much better they are than them. I think it just determines how Svezda's playing. I think early on looking at it, they made it look like a chippy physical game. Like, you see guys, they were getting into it, a lot of shoving, and Svezda was going to the basket attacking strong every time. They were going right at him, and I think partisans early on were, they were kind of playing a little slow, you know, not really forcing the issue. And you could kind of see towards the game got going on, especially in that fourth quarter, you know, Partizan started getting more aggressive. Sevezda started slowing down, taking more three-point shots. So I think anytime they're played, the matchup is there. I think the home court advantage plays plays a part
2: also. For me personally, I think um, it's the success and then the lack of success in the in the EuroLeague. I think um, – partisan has shown life you know they're 12 and 11 you know with the new pieces you know right now they're in that playoff spot I think they're 10th and um you know they're having a solid year you know a couple wins or losses could go one way or the other you know a double week coming up you know if you can go 2-0 and in that you know you can potentially propel yourself from um, 10th position to you know in the playoffs you know so I think them having success you know has them feeling good, has them, you know, focused on that. And I think Red Star, any time that you're struggling in the Euroleague, you know, with nine wins, you know, they're out of that play-in position, I think more emphasis is put on the Derby game. Obviously, it's the biggest game. Everything, everybody has that focus and they're locked in on it. But it's just something like that desire. You can't be struggling in Euroleague, not in playoff position, not in play-in position, and then also losing to partisan. Like, it's just too much. And I think it's bringing out, an extra desire, an extra fight, like something that they can hold on to, you know, whereas partisan, they want to win. They want to always beat red star for sure, you know, but if you can continue to do well in the Euro lead and then, you know, maybe you lose a couple of regular season games, they're probably banking on, you know, getting them in the finals, you know, whatever may happen or whatever. But I think that's where maybe their detention is kind of divided. And, you know, it's, it's not easy when you're playing against a, a wounded animal, um, basically like their back is against the wall. You know, you're talking about people's careers, people's livelihood, and it's not easy to live in Belgrade when um, you're continuously struggling yearly and you're losing to the rival. So, you know, at least with Partizan, they, they have the yearly, they have that hope, they have that in So even if they lost the game, I think their fans would be upset, but they would be like, all right, we'll get the next one. Come on, keep going in yearly. Whereas red star, if they don't turn it around, it's still early. It's nine games. They still have time, but if they don't start getting wins and, and putting themselves in position to be in the play in, they'll have to revert all their attention um, to the Adriatic League. And now there's more at stake um, than just beating um, Partizan. Now you're potentially talking about securing your wild card, you know, because we know that the wild card is achieved um, as the champion of the Adriatic League. Now, who knows? Maybe the Euroleague may make some adaptations. You know, maybe they'll give a license to one of the Serbian teams based on the, the beautiful presentation they have, um, the fan support um the beautiful gems, all those stuff they're putting on a great display i think they're both deserving of both a license both teams Um, but as of right now we only know that the only way you're guaranteed is to be the Adriatic league champion so you know i think you're going to see them start to switch gears and you know when that starts to get closer and closer you're going to see that intensity pick up even more and you know maybe maybe jekyll is you know trying things you know he's a very smart coach like he tries different lineups he tinkers with different things gets people ready and he sees what works and what doesn't work and then when it's money time you know he always has that adjustment ready for you
0: and marcus mentioned this you know shoving uh, shoving elbows you know huge physicality level and i know that your league is already a physical league but when it takes those derby games this physicality play goes to another level and I think that this is this was becoming a little bit worse and worse and trend for Partizan in a way that Zvezda is just more physical team. They have more players who know how to be physical. And when you look at Partizan, they have PJ dozier they have Frank Kaminsky, uh, they have kaboklo league newcomers, that they still need to reach those limits to understand the limits of the physicality. And in those Derby games, I think it's it's very important. And if you look at the history of those three games that they already played uh, this year, Partizan won the first game. But if I remember well, they were also down like by 15 or 17. And it was another tough beginning uh, for Partizan. So, you know, I think it will take time for Partizan players to adjust. Uh, as Eric mentioned, to change their gear uh, for Adriatic League, which is going to be very important. But it might be not that easy because Zvezda, they have all the experience, they're physical, they know what it takes, they're deep and we see Partizan always having some injury problems. So that makes us a a perfect matchup for for, uh, the remaining of the Adriatic League season because as Eric mentioned, it's crazy that just the winners of the Adriatic League uh, will be secured about their place in the EuroLeague next season. And I, I, I don't get it a little bit. I've just, I was in Belgrade a couple of days ago and I travel a lot. I traveled a, uh, around all EuroLeague destinations and I cannot feel, um, as a basketball person, I cannot feel more happy than being in such places like Serbia, Greece or Lithuania because these people, they understand basketball. On every corner, you're going to have a basketball conversation. Every taxi driver will know what's best for their team. Every waitress in the restaurant knows uh, which player has to suck, you know, in order that this his team needs to win uh, his game. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just such a joy to be in those basketball places because if I go to, I don't know, if I go to Barcelona, Berlin, Munich, as soon as you leave the area of the gym, it's over. There's no basketball. Basketball doesn't exist uh, to so many people. So I think that you really need those, you know, die-hard basketball fan uh, destinations. And if you're not, um, if you don't trust Serbian teams yet, if you're not sure about their consistency, because they had issues uh, before, just give them a three-year license, you know, just give them a three-year license to as a test you know if they can prove you wrong if they can stay consistently and if that's the case just give them the 10 uh, a license you know to, to to have them in this 13 uh, shareholders list so it's it's interesting case that we're having and as soon as it's not cleared with those licenses we're going to see a lot of brutal things in adriatic league derbies fans throwing stuff at players which is really bad which is not which is not going to stop uh, because this one competition determines if you can feel safe about your EuroLeague future.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely I couldn't see I couldn't see EuroLeague without having both both Serbian teams there, especially with these past couple years, uh, how the fan support has been and the talent that they've been bringing in both teams. I mean, I think it's I think it's a clear clear picture that they should have as some some type of license at least. You know, I think. It does make it a, the ABA league a little bit better because you know what's at stake at the end of the year. But I think I think they
2: both shown that they deserve it. If they continue with Asvel or Albert Berlin, and they don't keep both Serbia teams. I should protest and cancel my year elite subscription because this is disgusting. <laughs> You're talking about high quality basketball. You're talking about great fan support. These are two deserving teams, history, tradition, you know, yearly wants to be um, a pillar, something that continues to grow. Well, if you do that, you have to keep the competition high, keep the best teams in there, keep the teams with the money in there, keep the teams with the best basketball product. So, you know, people might not like it, but if you're consistently at the bottom, you don't deserve to stay in a Euroleague. That's the truth. If you're not keeping all the games competitive, you don't deserve it. So, you know, make some changes, Euroleague. Keep both Serbian teams in there. I've never even played in Serbia, but I just like good basketball, and I like to watch uh, the Euroleague continue to have competitive games, and I like to see the closeness and all the standards and every game counting and every game matter. You know, I don't want to have to turn on sometimes to the TV and, Know that oh this game's over. And That's how I feel when I see those two other teams, the German team and their French team.
1: Yeah, it's crazy because it's like no disrespect to you know those clubs, but they're they're not bringing they're not bringing much to the year league. I feel like you you know what's going to happen at the end of the year. They're going to get some big wins, of course. You know they're a high level team, but they're constantly at the bottom every. Every single year, market could be different. they have
2: five more wins than me or you in the Euro lead right now.
1: Five more. <laughs> That's the crazy thing about it. <laughs> it's like I like you say. I'm watching. If I'm flipping through and I'm watching, and I'm seeing anything, Asvel, Berlin, you know, I'm I'm not tuning into those games. You know, there's no way. No way, no way we're watching just, that. <laughs> it's just at the end, you know what you're gonna get out of it. You already know what's gonna happen, but then. If you see the score, you're like, oh, wow, that was a closer game than I thought. So, it's like, okay, good. But, you know, there's I think there's this other teams out there, you know, even in the Euro Cup that I think that could deserve that. So, I definitely agree with you. They got to they gotta make some changes at some point. You know, I'm excited to see the expansion, see what they do with that. But, yes, the Serbian teams definitely deserve a license. Hey, and –
0: just with all the respect to Asvel and Nalba, they were actually two teams that beat Zvezda this year league season. Uh, among those rare victories that they had mm-hmm. in the year league, but I'm with you guys uh, in this conversation, and and I have to say that Eric is in shape. He's in shape uh, today. You can feel that he has been a while since he was on the last podcast, mm-hmm. and he looks like in shape, like he was yesterday uh, <laughs> playing against Anadolu Efens because Karşıyaka took an. 18 points victory against FS. Eric scored 18 points. Another great game, important win. And it's interesting because Eric played against FS and Fener in seven days. And from (laughs) 30 point loss against Fener, they went on 18 point victory over FS. So Eric, explain me two things: Should FS players and their fans have to be concerned about making the playoffs this year, and why? And should Fenerbahce fans start buying Final Four tickets?
2: Man, um, Saras was exactly what Fener needed. Um, You're talking about a team that had a ton of talent. And I like it too. I think he did a great job with that roster. But I think sometimes to wake players up, there's usually a change that needs to be made sometimes. And you know, he did everything he could with that roster. You know, he had him performing well. I think he was excellent with him. But there seemed to be quarrels or some type of disconnect, you know, within the team, um, and I think um, you could see it with how they played. Um, and with Sars, you know, now they're playing harder, they're more energetic, they're more aggressive, they're more physical, um, and you can see that everyone is held to the same standard. You know, he he's going to yell at Scotty Wilbekin. He's also going to yell at that twenty-year-old kid who's getting his first Turkish league minutes. And their structure, their system, like. It's just, I don't know, a different energy because usually players understand that once a coach leaves, after a coach is fired, if the play doesn't pick up, if the performance doesn't pick up, you're next as a player. So I think that's where you see that um, assertiveness and that sense of urgency has arise. So I think Fender looks excellent. Um, they're in shape. They're in form. And I think you're going to see them continue to grow. And the fact that they're able to still win these games with these injuries, with all these things that are occurring, is showing you that they have a strong roster that a tutor's put together. And then Saras has inherited that. And he's putting in his tactics, his style. He seems to be – I really have a lot of respect for him because I wasn't sure how things were going to go, Um, you know, with how Calathis was used in Barcelona, with how Nigel was used in Barcelona – and you could just tell that he values winning more than anything because he came in and he didn't hold any grudges. He didn't hold any pass. What what we're doing here is is now show me what you got. And he gave ultimate freedom. And I don't know if that's because, you know, his style has evolved or if it's the roster he's been given or what, but, you know, he really gave guys a chance and to show them who he was and how they fit in his team. And he's been extremely fair. And so I think he's just handled the roster excellently and, I think that's a team that has final four potential. Um, you know, I, it's always hard for us because you want to root for the Turkish teams to do good. But then also I know if they stay longer then our playoffs get pushed back and then I get to go home later. <laughs> so it's like, it's a double edged sword. Like I want to see my Turkish brothers doing well, but it's like, ah, is the Turkish league going to push back our playoffs? So, <laughs> but I think they have a chance to be in a final four. As far as F is, they just been unfortunate. So many injuries, um, When you throw in a new coach who's extremely talented, who's shown you his ability um, to win some big games in F.S., who did a tremendous job in Tech Telecom, I think it's it's just unfortunate that he wasn't able to have a healthy roster. Then also keep in mind a lot of these guys aren't his guys. There's some guys who were signed to contracts or he inherited, um, you know, Ottomans watch. And I think once he gets to have, you know, his guys to fit his system, his type of things that he wants, I think you'll see um, them take off. But I think if they didn't have injuries, um, you would see a different type of season. And the Euroleague is so tricky because if you start off bad, the teams are so good. Uh, If you're missing players, it's so hard to get out the hole, right? And then you have to play different styles. You're playing one way because you have Shane there. You have Darius there, right? And then Will comes back, and this is a dynamic player, a dominant player. Now you kind of shift a little bit. Then Elijah Bryant comes back. Now you have to incorporate him, and this is another good player that needs touches, that needs the ball. You have to, and then you still in that time have Bobois, who's a guy who's playing, you know, amazing, you know, at thirty-six years of age, and to be, and he's just, you know, making shots, being clutch, doing this do. So they have all these pieces, and roles are never developed because you're bringing guys in, you're taking guys out, you're bringing guys in, take, then you have to sign new guys, then there's more mouths to feed, and it's just, it's like a revolving door, and it's just been the luck with the injuries, and that's that's really destroyed them, and I think um, there's still time. You know, they have nine wins. This double week is huge coming up for them. You know, I think they were distracted, you know, when they played us, and I understand it, like, anytime those games are close and you're fighting for your play, life, they were a little bit distracted looking ahead, and I think if they can kind of go 2-0 and in this week, I think you'll see them kind of turn that corner um, and their coach is aware of it you know he rested you know Darius Thompson and Will Clyburn um, to prepare for this week and this is a crucial week for them uh, a make or break week I would say.
0: Yeah I'm rooting for FS they had a really bad stretch this season uh, due to all the circumstances that you mentioned and it's you know it's, it's not fair because they're playing in the one of the toughest competitions in the world, and it's really hard to catch up with all these great teams. And he actually dropped 34 points against Karšiaka. and they won that game. So Eric, I just wanted to hear your thoughts uh, about Moses' potential in the Euroleague. Also, knowing that Olympiacos made this move only because. Milutinov got injured, Mustafa Afala all injured. They might be out for another month or a little bit longer. So, you know, it's not going to be easy for Moses to stick in a front line where they also have Filip Petrushev, Luke Sigma, Alec Peters. So what do you think uh, about Moses Wright and his chances of becoming a solid EuroLeague player that will save his roles we will save his minutes even with all these injured guys uh, getting back to the rotation at some point of the season
2: if i had one word to describe moses right in the words of my friend john holland dog <laughs> that boy is tough i mean the motor <laughs> energy you he plays hungry like he wants it he's got a lot of resort and then when it comes to like Playing through the contact, the energy, going for the rebounds, fighting. He doesn't have that defensive presence yet. That's what's missing. That's that step he needs to take to be able to guard, to be able to do those type of things. But I think the potential's there. But I think when you're on a smaller team, you're just so focused on offense. But the way he finishes, hard right shoulders, he hasn't learned how to pass a little bit. Um, that's the struggle for a lot of bigs coming from a lower level team when um, you're the focal point of the offense, when you have that ball. Um, Now you're playing with higher-level guys. So when that double team comes, you got to be able to kick that ball out. You got to be able to make certain reads. I think, but man, he can put the ball on the floor. He can attack to the right. He can finish right hand. He's athletic. He's strong. He goes through the contact. Great rebounder. Great energy, effort, motor. Um, A lot of sort in him. So I I like the sign and I like the move. I think um, he has huge potential. But he must learn play the european style game right now he's in bucket mode um you know coming from the g league coming from that mindset is you know you got to get yours and if he can incorporate being who he is being that score getting yours within that team flow i think he could be really good in the ground but he's going to have to adopt his game because barjoka's style is different um but expect some big games, some impact expect also ups and downs he's young it's his first time dealing with this he's going from a situation where he was getting 15 to 17 shots a night to now it's probably going to be six to seven shots he's going to a situation where he was having a ball where he was getting post-ups where now he's just going to be screening and cutting so give him some time to adapt but man that that young man is going to be really good and shout out to Dennis Lee right this is Euro lead you if you're a young player you want to show your stuff you want to go somewhere you pick a team that has a history of producing players right so if you think this year Daniel Arturo Leaves after, what, six weeks? He's an animal too, by the way. But leaves Dennis Lee, gets bought out by Ephesus, and continues to dominate um, at Ephesus um, in Turkish lead and Euroleague, leaving no signs of a drop-off. Uh, Moses right now from Dennis Lee straight to um, Olympiacos. I think that was in like three or four weeks. And then if you go back to last year, Heidegger got bought out from Dennis Lee went to Baskonia, and then they had also a Greek guard, and excuse my pronunciation of his last name, but Nikos Ropoulopoulos, or
0: he was a a three-man.
2: Ropoulopoulos, yeah, Yeah, so he was the three-man. He also went to Baskonia, and so it's at this point now where if you play at Dennis and you play good, you're going to the Euroleague. It's a Euroleague pipeline. (laughs) (laughs) So for the agents out there, keep sending your guys I guess, because they're doing something right, so a lot of respect to them. Management's doing some good, getting money by uh, selling players, getting money, keeping the organization up afloat, and continually to find good players, are targeting good young players. But Moses Wright, yo, he's a guy to watch. Um, you know, I tried to tell y'all about Jonathan Motley, tried to tell y'all about Darius Thompson. You try know, tried to warn y'all, and you know, y'all continue to disregard sometimes an athlete speaking on it because you know I'm still playing. Moses Wright is like that, but I'm worried about the system for him. You know, because Olympiakos isn't a big man system. But he is like that. So we will see. Um, it's going to be interesting. But a lot of good bids in Turkey. A lot of good bids.
1: What's his contract situation? Is Because I saw somewhere where he signed, like, for one month with a chance to sign to the end of the season.
0: Uh, Moses? Yeah. It, I think it. he has an option after the season to stay with Olympiacos. Okay. So he should remain until the end of the season. Okay. And then there will be an option to, to keep him or not.
1: Okay. Cause I when looking at that situation, I thought that was a big part. Cause I read somewhere where it was one month with a chance for in the season. So I thought for him and his style of play, I thought that would be tough. Yeah. And I didn't think it would work out because I think he needs time. Like 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 Eric said, he's he's good and that potential is there. You can see it. So I think with giving him time to figure it out, to adjust, see where he can do. Play his game and add, you know, I think that's going to change a lot for him at Olympiacos. I think it's going to change Olympiacos' season for what he does. You know, with their situation with the big man, with all their bigs they have, I think it's going to be a little bit hard for them to just down the line when they do get fully healthy. But I think it's a great – I think it's a great pickup. You know, I actually – I played him this year in China. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've seen – His work that he did in China the year before. And I saw what he did when he got there when he played against us. And, you know, you can see the talent. Now, I definitely see what Eric's talking about where he's in that mindset where he has to go get his. You know, he's coming from G League, coming from playing in the CBA, where two places where, you know, you have to get your stats in order to get to where you're going to get to. So once he figures out that, you know, I just need to fit in and blend in and everything's going to take care of itself, then. He's, he's going to be able to play in that Euroleague anywhere, not just Olympiacos. I think also, too, on a higher-level team.
0: And, Eric, yeah. it's good that you mentioned Merkezefendi. effendi We have to, you know, recognize this name better and better. I tracked European teams that served as the last stop for uh, future Euroleague players or, I would say, future Euroleague rookies. Because, for instance, Richard Slomars also led Merkezefendi this year to join the Euroleague side yes. Virtus. But he had the Euroleague experience before with uh, Villarband. So I tracked only those guys who went from uh, domestic league team to the Euroleague uh, for a, let's say, rookie contract. And Merkesefendi Effendi is a top five team since 2020 in producing those uh, Euroleague rookies. Like Murcia, Bursaspor, they have five players. Uh, that went to the EuroLeague, Merkez Efendi, Ulm, and Hapoel, Jerusalem. They had four since 2020. And actually, Turkey has emerged emerged as the most popular talent pool for future EuroLeague players in the last four years. And four of the eight teams that produce the most EuroLeague rookies come from Turkey. So this uh, connects to my question that I had to you guys. You know, what do you think is the best way to get Euro attention, to get recognized by by the Euro teams, what's the best way uh to get that Euro uh contract?
2: If it's, I'm a young player, think... I would I would go to a team that um has low expectations um in the league. You know, by saying that, I'm not saying it's like a horrible team, but it's a team that, you know, is fighting not to get relegated. You know, those teams usually give uh their foreigners extreme freedom um, and you have less pressure. So like when they play a Finner, a Fs, um, a Besitas, a Karchiaka, a Gala, usually they're not expected to win. You play free um, in your situation. And I think um, they're usually little cities, um, not a lot to do. You play one game a week. Um, You got a lot of time to get in the gym, to lift, to train, to work on your game, to improve yourself. And then, You got all week to to prepare for that team. You need to be watching the games, watching them yearly games, watching the Euro cup games, start familiarizing yourself with European basketball and what teams like and see um, from other guys, what gets guys paid, what gets guys notoriety? what gets guys attention. You can literally watch the game. You can see, Oh, I hear this. Mike James is good, right? If you're a guard, let me see what they like about Mike James. Boom. I know. Oh, I hear that. um, John Brown's a great defender. Let me see what he does. Like, The game is easy. It's right there. Everything is right at your fingertips. Your lead pass, whatever. If you want to spend a couple dollars, do it. It's an investment in yourself. But I would go to one of those teams where you're going to have that freedom, where you're going to be allowed to make mistakes, where you're going to play 30 plus minutes, if I'm a young guy. Before, I would go to maybe a mid or higher level club where you're going to play instead of 33, 34 minutes a night, now you're playing 18 to 22. Now you don't have that freedom to mess up. Now you're there's vets and there's guys who are established and if you make a mistake or two you're out the game So this is what I would do if I was younger build your way up build your confidence build your name so that you can get that leadway to make mistakes so that you can get that credit you know if I have a bad game or two no one cries home like oh Eric is over they might be like yeah he's old but we know Eric he'll be okay but when you're 22 years old, one bad game two bad games oh the level's too high. Uh, This is too much from him. Oh, he's coming from a small team or he's coming from college. This is too much. You know, if Marcus Foster has a bad game, uh, he's just getting acclimated. He just got here, you know, from China or he just got here from home, whatever, boom, he'll be all right. So it's just a different level of um, understanding, a different level of freedom. And until you build that up in Europe, um, it's hard for young players to succeed because this generation is used to things um, being given to them or not being as easily um, as we have got, we had to work a little bit harder. When I was coming up, it wasn't no, uh, from this small team straight to the EuroLeague. like, they valued winning also, more than statistics. Now it's kind of shifted, where if you're on this horrible team, but you're killing, you kind of get climbed up. But when I was coming up, and I was 24, 23 years old, I, I was always killing on teams, but it was like, yeah, you need more time, we want to see you win, and that's kind of how it was. So I'm glad that Guys are getting this opportunity now to propel themselves because oftentimes guys are better than the level that they're playing at. And teams are now recognizing that sometimes you can be a special player, but if you don't have the special pieces around you, you're not going to win games. Um, And so I'm glad that these young guys are getting the opportunity. And now with that opportunity, you have to continue to work and take advantage of it because you open the door up for someone in the next generation who's younger. And this thing will continue. Because trust me, it used to be you would have to play three, four years overseas before the year league would give you that opportunity. Mike James was in second division. Eric McCullum was in second division. Uh, You know, John Brown was in second division. Kyle Hines was in second division. The list goes on. So it was just a different era. Uh, Now, with technology, social media, all these things, there's so much more access where it's harder to stay under the radar. And I, I like it like that. You know, I'm not one of those older guys who don't want to see the younger guys eating. I want to see y'all get more. I want to see the league continue to grow. I mean, Dananas can tell you I'm an advocate for no fair play, no financial rules, none of that. You know, bring on Dubai, all the big money, bring them <laughs> on, because I want to see everybody <laughs> eat. But <laughs> but that, that's what I can say. That's the, the, the formula. Go to a team that just wants to stay in the league, ball out, understand European play, and – watch the games and understand that when you get your opportunity to go to a higher team, you're not going to shoot the same amount of shots. You're not going to have the same freedom, but you establish yourself that year and you build your confidence up to put you in this position the following year. And so now the drop, if you don't play well at that high level, you always have teams beneath you, right? But if you skip that low level and you go straight to like that mid level area and you don't play well, you know, the, it's, it's very murky waters. It's, it's a tough tough pay cut so that's the trajectory a lot of kids want it right away but if you can take the step i think Moses is right i think um daniel otaru i think all these guys have shown you and otaru had some time in nba he took a Lee job so that shows you that if you if you take your time you take the steps and you don't skip them you can get to where you need to go
1: yeah that's huge i think the main thing I would tell my young players is be, be you, do what you did to get you that job that you're at right now. You know, if you're, if you're supposed to go score 20, 25 a night, then go do it because, you know, teams are always watching. They're always trying to find talent. So I think you just have to lock in and really, really hone your craft, get what you're good at and make sure you're the best at it. And another thing too is, you know, when you get to that level, you have to adjust and figure out how to adjust quickly. I think from my past experiences, when, you know, I played in Halon, um, I had a great year. And I went from Hulon to Pantheakos. But in my mind, it was now I have to do the exact same thing I did at Halone, but I have to do it at the EuroLeague level. But for me, I didn't need to do that. Nobody's expecting me to go average 18 points. They didn't want that. They wanted everything, all the other stuff I was doing that got me there, you know. My defensibility that year, um, my passing ability was better. You know, I was bringing energy, getting getting guys going, stuff like that. So I think at the moment, focus on your task at hand and get what get do what you see. Guys like Eric was saying, if you see if you're supposed to be like a uh, Elijah Bryant you know, do what he does, see what he's doing, watch the game, see what he's doing, and then perfect it at that level. And then when you get to that level, try try to add to your game, but do what's going to get you on the floor. And it's going to change from time to time. I think that was an adjustment I had to make. You know, one game I could play 20 minutes, and then the next five, six games I could only play seven, six minutes. And it messes with you mentally, but that's how you become a better player because now you're going through these things, and now – you, nobody can tell you anything different because you know you've been through that situation and I think also to paying attention to what what guys are doing like those teams you said Jerusalem you know if that's a team that wants you and you see guys are going to the Euro league from there you know you need to go you need to go there and be a part of it and do do what guys did to get to the Euro league and also have a good agent. I think people don't talk about enough. I think taking your agent process serious and seeing the history that they have, also plays a part to get you to where you want to get to, you know, no matter what level it is. Because I, I look at, it like, all guys are trying to get to a certain level. You know, I have friends that are in second division that are just trying to get to first division. You know, I got guys playing Europe Cup that wants to get to Euro Cup Champions League. And then, you know, I have guys in Euro League that are just trying to be there, you know, trying to make their name there and trying to stay there. So, you know, guys are always trying to get to a higher level no matter what it is. So, you know, just being patient, enjoying the process also, too, because, you know, Eric can tell you this line of business that we're in is tough. You know, you're overseas, you're in these different countries. Most of the time you're not in a great country. You know, you you got to find stuff to do, stay out of trouble. The best thing you do is become come come friends with the TV, watch basketball, you know, and be in the gym. You know, be that guy that's always there. Encourage your teammates to go to help you and help them. And, you know, I remember my I had a friend that played with um Darius Thompson and uh I forgot the team names, but I know it was in the Netherlands, the Netherlands area. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, he was just telling me like he's he's gonna be in the Euro League one day. And, you know, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, you know, this guy, he's making low, on the lower end of money, like, how is he going to get to the League? He's like, just watch. Like, he's always in the gym. He's always positive. He's never too high, never too low. He knows, he knows his game and he's going to keep building on that. And, you know, I think he made a huge increase in his pay that next year. And then I was watching this guy. I'm like, I can't believe this is a guy. My friend's been telling me about the whole season. And then a year later, he's in the League. And I'm like, okay, I can see the process. I can see how you get there. So I think it's about watching other guys, seeing what they're doing and keeping your circle tight. You know, have good people around you that are going to motivate you to get to you to your higher potential.
0: That's some good stuff, guys. I mean, thanks for sharing your knowledge. I hope that uh, future league players or future highest-level EuroCup or BCL players are also listening to this podcast, you know, to, uh, to take some advices from this conversation. But just before the very end, uh, I wanted to bring up the last topic that I have. Since I have two BCL uh, players, best uh, t- top prof- uh, profile scorers, uh, I want to ask you to list four top BCL team- teams power ranking to win the BCL this year. How do you
1: imagine those? It's It's tough because I really... I think the three best teams are in one group. You know, you got Karseka, um, Tenerife, and uh, who's the other team? Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. And Jerusalem. <laughs> if they were in different groups, I think they would make it to that next top eight stage. But, you know, you can never leave Tenerife off the list. You know, I think they didn't have the years like they had before where they were so dominant, I feel like. But they're always going to be there. You know, their style of play, their coaching, their team. They've been together for a while. Um, Jerusalem, I think with them having that connection of playing with each other last year, I think it's tough with the coach change. So I think – and also not be able to play in Israel because of the war situation. I think that might change their situation a little bit. And then uh, Karshaka – you know the talent they have. Anytime you're going against Eric, you know you know like you said you know what you're going to get out of them. So you're you're nervous for that matchup because you know you know the talent they have. Um, um, it's it's a tough competition and Mercer Malaga. So if I had to pick, I would definitely go with Mercer, Malaga, um, Karsheka, and Jerusalem.
0: Okay. Yeah, and that's a tough race. Who do you have, Eric, besides Karashiaka, of course? For me,
2: for me, I would say Malaga. I mean, they've been consistent all year in ACB, um, in the Champions League. They have death. Um, they have chemistry. Um, they've kept a lot of continuity with the coaches, with the staff, with the players. They kept everything the same. And they were just a step away last year. And I think they've built off of that. Um, And took it to another level. You know, probably was disappointing losing at home in a final four, you know, to an excellent uh, Bond team. But um, they've shown um, who they are, what they can be. And I think they've been the most consistent team this year um, in Champions League. Um, Number two, I would say Mercia. Um, They've been also doing an ACB league. Um, Shout out to ACB league. You know, a lot of teams there having success. Um, but also in the Champions League, um, they've been great. Bill uh, Innes is having a great year. Um, and then when their big fella got hurt, and I was wondering how they would do, you know, how they, he was probably the most impactful player in ACB for them. And he goes down, he misses, you know, uh, half the Champions League game, and they just keep rolling, they keep rolling. Um, so, you know, that was interesting um, just to see that. So I think they're in there. And then from our group, I think whoever – the other two teams who get out um, because – you're going to be battle tested, right? You're playing at Karshiaka Gym in that hostile atmosphere, and you know if you're able to to move forward, you're showing that you have a team full of talent, but also that you have nerves, that you have experience. Uh, Tenerife, they're a champion. You know they've already done it before. They won. They actually came into our gym and they beat us. You know, so you know we have to return to favor. You know, but first of all, we got to focus one game at a time on Jerusalem. But you know that's a team that is always a force to be reckoned with. You know, and then you look at Jerusalem. They, the taste was right there. Trophy was on their lips. Uh, they lost in the final to that bond team, and, you know, they were just just, just an elite team that year, and, and they were in our group. Yeah. So I've seen it, you know, on the regular. But anytime you're that close, you bring back that same crew, those same players. You have a player of Levi Randolph's um, caliber, you know, to lead them, and then you see it. They won in Tedesteri in Greece uh, with him having one point. You know, that shows you that they have other options. Speedy Smith hits the big three, you know, scores 22 points. Um, You know, they bring back their big. uh, They have good uh, role players and Israeli guys. uh, They have that balance. And the fact that they're able to have this success without playing essentially a home game through the midst of this war and everything that's occurred and to still be able to go out there and play basketball, you know, hats off to them. Kudos to them, because that's not easy to do. It's easy to lose focus in that scenario. So I think I don't know who it's going to be. But whatever two teams come out of our group, you know, God willing, I hope it's on us. We just continue to play, have good health. But I think that's going to be the other two Final Four teams. You know, so stay tuned. <laughs>
0: Yeah, everybody's talking about uh, your league and how competitive it is this year with this crazy race both for play-in, for the playoffs, or even the Final Four. But BCL, uh, you shouldn't underrate the competitiveness and the high level of basketball that we have in BCL this year. And it's just a pity that, you know, Ritas was not in the same group like Karšiaka, like Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and we were like so close that two of you were in the same Basket News studio in Mm -hmm. Vilnius. Because if Ritas advanced to the top 16, we would have had Karciak and Ritas in the same group. But Vasilis Spanulis happened. And, you know, the guy has a history of changing mm-hmm. plans uh, of some teams and their fans. So, but n- never mind. It, ju- it was just a great opportunity to have you, Bo, here on the podcast. You know, you to share the knowledge. Uh, it's it's a pleasure to, to, to take this all knowledge that you share. It's a pleasure to see you bringing the excitement to BCL, Turkish, Lithuanian basketball fans, and I hope both basketball fans and basketball people and future EuroLeague star players as well enjoyed this conversation uh, as much as possible. So thank you too for being on their bonus podcast and see you next time.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, always a pleasure. Shout out to my Lithuanian friends. Y'all take care. <laughs> I miss y'all guys. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>